The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Chorami, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national breaking and headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress and other high-profile public figures. On each show, I also highlight an outstanding organization, such as a nonprofit, a charity, a cause, or even an exceptional individual who does great work in the community. After the headlines, I have two interviews for you today. The first one is with California Congressman Mike Levin, whose district is South Orange County and North San Diego County. Second, with Ross Murray from GLAAD, non-governmental media monitoring organization founded by LGBTQ people in the media. Here are some headlines from over the weekend and as of this morning. There are already concerns about the integrity of the 2020 election, with an intelligent official warning earlier this month that Russia, China, and Iran are all seeking to interfere in the presidential contest this fall. The Trump administration created more fears about that possibility this weekend when it informed members of Congress that the intelligence chief will no longer brief them in person on election security issues. It was yet another attack by the Trump administration on democratic institutions and the separation of powers enshrined in the Constitution. House Intelligence Chairman Adam Schiff said Sunday that it is possible the House could subpoena intelligence officials to testify on election interference a day after Director of the National Intelligence John Ratcliffe informed members of Congress that the nation's top intelligence office will no longer deliver in-person briefings on election security issues. Over the weekend, a person was shot and killed in downtown Portland Saturday night after an evening of violent clashes between Trump supporters and protesters denouncing police brutality. After a summer of tension, unrest, and protests over police brutality against African Americans in the U.S., some 50,000 demonstrators gathered in Washington to demand racial justice. Formerly called the Commitment March, Get Your Knee Off Our Necks, a reference to George Floyd who was killed in police custody in May after a policeman knelt on his neck for several minutes. Speakers urged attendees to vote for change. The 2020 March fell on the 57th anniversary of the 1963 Civil Rights March on Washington, an iconic event in American history credited with spurring the passage of the Civil Rights Act, outlawing segregation the following year. California COVID-19 numbers keep climbing. The state has averaged 110.4 deaths per day over the last seven days. Roughly 74% of the dead were 65 or older. At least 5,033 were living at nursing homes. 12,906 people have died from COVID-19 in California. 5,759 of them were in LA County. Starting today, hair salons and barbershops will be allowed to reopen statewide with precautions. Other industries, including nail salons and breweries, uh, were not as lucky under a new, a tiered state monitoring system. 
For the most accurate and updated figures on COVID-19, please visit the websites of CDC, World Health Organization, and the Johns Hopkins University. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt is pretty simple today because it is about the Republicans and Trump administration's efforts to suppress the Democratic vote. And it seems like they've been at it for months, setting the stage from Trump putting DeJoy as the postmaster general, one of his donors, to take out as many mailboxes as possible and vote processing machines. Although he's been called in front of Congress, he does not uh, change course. And we are seeing some alarming signs that the vote may be suppressed. And in my upcoming interview with Congressman Levin, he brings up a very important point that's very alarming, and that is two-thirds of Democrats plan to vote by mail, where two-thirds of Republicans plan to vote in person. Now, if that's true, and I'm sure it is, and then you can see clearly what the challenge is and what Trump is trying to do in order to get reelected once again by cheating. So we've got to get blunt about stuff like this so that we can move on and be in the solution, which is to vote early, mail in your votes early, and spread, spread the news and tell everyone to do so as well. And also hold Trump and his cronies accountable. Let's get blunt. The Blunt Post with Vic. Congressman Mike Levin represents California's 49th congressional district, which includes North San Diego County and South Orange County. Very popular with his constituents, Congressman Levin has championed efforts to expand access to affordable health care, lower the cost of higher education, preserve Social Security and Medicare, prevent gun violence, enact comprehensive immigration reform, and protect a woman's right to choose. He is a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, the Future Forum, and as the grandson of immigrants from Mexico, a member of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. Congressman Levin is a member of the House Committee on Veterans Affairs, chair of the Subcommittee on Economic Opportunity, member of the Subcommittee on Health. He is also a member of the House Committee on Natural Resources, Subcommittee on Water, Oceans, and Wildlife, as well as Subcommittee on Energy and Mineral Resources, and a member of the House Select Committee on Climate Crisis. He is a member of the following caucuses, Congressional Progressive Caucus, Congressional Hispanic Caucus, which including chair of the Environmental Task Force, Sustainable Energy and Environment Coalition, Freshman Working Group on Addiction, Gun Violence Prevention Task Force, Safe Climate Caucus, and the California Aerospace Caucus. Congressman Levin, thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic today. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Vic. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Congressman, for taking the time. I can only imagine what you have on your plate with so much happening uh, this unprecedented year, uh, not just because of the elections coming up, but COVID-19 and just a lot of turmoil. So before I get into specifics, if you can share your general perspective, things happen every day. So just where you, where you are today and what's your perspective on where the nation is? 
Well, I, I think that uh, the numbers are just stunning, Vic. And, you know, uh, we see now over 175,000 Americans who tragically lost their lives from COVID. And I think we all need to just uh, remember uh, that uh, this is more than just a statistic. Uh, these are grandmothers and grandfathers and parents and aunts and uncles and even our children. And countless Americans have been forced to grieve uh, family members and loved ones without even having had the opportunity to see them in their last moments or participate in a funeral service. And right. it's just, it's so disheartening. And it didn't have to be this way, Vic. It didn't have to be this way. Um, and uh, I'm hopeful that we can come together for a comprehensive uh, coronavirus aid bill uh, in the weeks ahead. And I, I'm upset that it's taken as long as it has. You know, we passed the first, second, third, and fourth COVID relief bills. Um, the big one was the CARES Act, over $2 trillion right. uh, back at the uh, end of March. And I was hopeful that we would get a, another bill done. You know, we introduced our HEROES Act, the Democrats did in the House, uh, over 100 days ago. And I thought Republicans would have come up with a counterproposal. Uh, and they really have failed to do so. Uh, McConnell, at first, you might remember, or your listeners might remember, he said, well, let states go bankrupt. Right. And which is clearly unacceptable. California, we went from a $21 billion surplus to a $54 billion deficit seemingly overnight. Right. And then McConnell said, well, we'll just take a pause. But this pandemic has not taken a pause. You know, the president wanted it to magically disappear, but quite the opposite has happened. Bill collectors uh, and, are not taking a pause. Yeah. It's right. Rent, rent is not taking a pause. Kids needing to go. Uh, back to school and and uh, people needing to go back to work. None of this has taken a pause. Yeah, uh, and the Senate the Senate shouldn't have either. Congressman, kudos to you for being very blunt and sort of not filtering yourself um, and really saying it the way it is. And it's unfortunate that you know you said at the beginning you said I, I hope that we come together, which has been sort of the an anthem for Democrats for years, saying let's reach across the aisle and meet. Republicans mm -hmm. midway. I just don't think it's ever going to happen because it hasn't happened. What what I see is that Republicans are not really even willing to give an inch. And if it wasn't mm -hmm. for House Democrats fighting, especially in California, I mean, thank goodness for members of Congress like yourself, Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff uh, fighting this good fight. I don't know where we would be. Well, you know, it's interesting. We uh, actually, with the CARES Act, that $2 trillion bill that I mentioned, right. uh, we did negotiate with the Republicans on that. And perhaps because it was, you know, just an overwhelming emergency, an overwhelming crisis, the likes of which we haven't seen uh, for a generation, uh, they did work with us. And so the $1,200 direct cash payments, the $600 a week in expanded unemployment, uh, the Paycheck Protection Program for small businesses, the money, $150 billion for state and local government, uh, the money for K-12 through and higher education, all those things that were in the CARES Act, those were negotiated and agreed to on a bipartisan basis. So it can happen. It's just not easy. And, you know, my, my hope is that it will happen again, you know, and we have really one more month 
of legislative session in September. Right. Um, but uh, we remain. I, I personally will go back on a, on a 24 hour. They always say you go back in a 24 hour window to go and vote. And that's what we did with this Postal Service bill, right. which we passed this past uh, this past weekend as right. I flew out to D.C. on Friday and then flew back to California on Sunday to try to deal with the emergency being caused by this Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy. Right. But as an example, we, we can move quickly when we uh, when we need to. And I just wish that the Senate uh, would be committed to moving equally as quickly as the House. Yeah. So it's deeply disappointing and. They really haven't gotten their act together on this. Yeah. Yeah. Weeks ago, they, they just shut down Senate and left when the House was still in session. And you are, uh, for our listeners, you are um, talking about the Delivering for America Act, which just passed. Yeah. And what's a little bit uh, disheartening and disconcerting is that Louis DeJoy is saying that, you know, he's going to pause all the changes that are being made to the post office, but he's really not addressing all the changes that were made prior to that. And I know that you've been vocal about this, saying what's going to happen to just basically everything that was done that could jeopardize the election. Well, let's take a step back. The United States Postal Service, no one should be messing with the USPS. This is not partisan in any way. This is essential for our democracy. We're talking about millions and millions of Americans who depend on the USPS every single day, for medications, for paychecks, for ballots, uh, and uh, to, to see DeJoy uh, go in there and try to sabotage the agency with operational changes uh, that threaten, potentially threaten people's lives if they can't get their life-saving medications, right. uh, that is just unacceptable. unacceptable. And uh, what we did is in this uh, bill, we said, uh, let's reverse those uh, changes that DeJoy is uh, trying to make. And at the same time, let's uh, get a $25 billion lifeline to the U.S. Postal Service. Now, what your listeners should know about that number is this is a number that Donald Trump's own uh, USPS Board of Governors asked for back in April. Uh, DeJoy was uh, put in there in May, I believe, or June. But back in April, before DeJoy got there, it was the Trump Board of Governors of the USPS who said they needed that funding. And they have changed their tune. Um, you know, now some of my Republican colleagues seem to think the USPS doesn't need any emergency assistance whatsoever. But let's be really clear here. Uh, back in 2007, there was legislation that was uh, passed in Congress, signed into law by George W. Bush, that dramatically uh, limited uh, the long-term fiscal viability for USPS by mandating the prepayment of 75 years worth of pension liabilities. And right. ever since that 2007 legislation, that was really the product of, and in fact, it's some of those same Republicans who are now criticizing the USPS's ability to be on solid financial footing. Well, it's their own doing from back in 2007. And so that was before the pandemic, Vic. And then you add right. the pandemic and the revenue loss as a result of the pandemic, which I've seen estimated at around $22 billion. And that's where the Trump Board of Governors, again, asked for the $25 billion lifeline. And that is to get not only through the election, but also through the pandemic. 
And I look at it from a couple angles. One is the veterans angle. I chair a subcommittee on the House Veterans Affairs right. Committee, and I'm deeply, deeply concerned about the impact this will have on our veterans in two ways. First is the 330,000 veterans a day that get medication from the USPS. Over 80% of all of the veteran prescriptions through the VA go through the USPS. And we're talking about 120 million prescriptions a year. Right. The other, uh, for me, the other issue is that about 100,000 veterans work at the US Postal Service. So we actually are writing Louis DeJoy, I think the letter went out today, really demanding to know what is happening with regard to those 100,000 veterans that work at USPS. And so for anyone who cares about the health and well-being of our veteran community, of people who have served this nation admirably, for then Louis DeJoy and the Trump administration to take these steps to hurt veterans, whether it be the 330,000 a day who are used to getting their prescriptions in a few days and now it might be taking weeks, or the 100,000 veterans who work at USPS, it's just really unconscionable to me and very hypocritical. Yeah. And we're not going to we're not going to stand for it. We're not going to stand for it. Yeah, especially now. And to say that it's suspect in an election year is probably an understatement. This is the Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host Vic Jaramie, and you're listening to my interview with Congressman Mike Levin. Congressman, in terms of replacing the mailboxes as well as the mail processing machines, has mm-hmm. Um, has the joy made any commitment to that or are we still where when he testified no congress no he's not planning to do anything like that no in fact the joy flatly refused he, right. by the way doesn't know doesn't know that it costs 35 cents to mail a postcard uh <laughs> either but uh look we know from reporting that there are uh, 671 mail sorting machines that have been removed throughout the united states 76 of them are in california I actually have a call later today with our local USPS leadership to understand, among other things, how many of those 76 are in my congressional district. And if any of them are, why were they removed? Just the same with the blue collection boxes. Anecdotally, we've got photos that have been sent to me by constituents of blue collection boxes that have been removed throughout the district. And that's unacceptable as well, uh, without clear explanation as to why. And, uh, you know, look, it's uh, really unfortunate uh, to see the president of the United States try to undermine the validity of vote by mail when during a pandemic where people have the risk of getting sick, a lot of people have pre-existing medical conditions, they shouldn't have to choose between casting their vote and staying healthy. And, and pe- that's all we're saying. And people have been voting by mail for decades. It's nothing new. Yeah, since the since the Civil War. Yeah. And, you know, the, the reality... What I worry about, Vic, is that according to the data, uh, roughly two-thirds of the people who say they're going to vote for Biden say they're going to vote by mail, and three-quarters of the people who say they're going to vote for Trump say they're going to vote in person. Mm-hmm. And so the the raw political nature right. of the president's comments are very troubling, very troubling. And I could envision a scenario where the president could declare victory on election night, and then the mail-in votes would, in fact, demonstrate that Joe Biden uh, was actually victorious. Right. And I could see the president and his enablers try to Make discredit 
yeah, discredit that result. And in fact, at the hearing with the USPS uh, and DeJoy the other day, Jim Jordan, Republican from Ohio, mm-hmm. he basically said the quiet part out loud about this. Uh, he said, oh, you know, the president's going to win on election night and then you're going to take as long as it takes to count all those votes until it puts your person ahead. Well, we're going to do everything possible to count all the votes for those who are legally eligible to cast the votes. Right. And we're going to do everything by the book and in a straightforward and legal manner. But you bet, to the extent that people cast their ballot by mail, those ballots need to count if they're uh, sent in in accordance with the relevant uh, laws. So yeah. uh, those are the stakes, Vic. And it's yeah. it's really unfortunate that we even have to be talking about the president of the United States trying to discredit the right to vote. I feel like we are in an Eastern European country in the 80s. Like, mm-hmm. it's totalitarian. It's You just don't know what you're going to get from D.C. anymore. It's so... Um, it's so uh, frantic. And I think until something happens and, and Congress is able to get the USPS in order, the best thing that we can do is, or, is to vote early and to make yes. sure that we, we don't wait until the last minute and then have, have the Trump administration have the excuse that some of them were late. Well, that's right. And everyone listening needs to make a plan needs to make a plan for when they're going to vote. And they need to treat this election uh, as the most important election in our lifetimes, because it is uh, the future of our planet, yeah. uh, the future of our democracy. Uh, and look, we've got four huge crises that we're dealing with all at once. Yeah, We've got the public health and economic crisis caused by COVID. We've got the racial injustice crisis that we know uh, particularly since the murder of George Floyd and now the recent events Jacob, elsewhere. Jacob, th- Blake. Ex- this, is a, this is a huge crisis that our country is facing, and then the climate crisis as well. Yep. So whether it's the public health, the economic, the racial injustice, or our changing climate, we need real leadership. We need to follow the science, follow the facts, uh, and uh, this president has not demonstrated a capacity to lead in this moment of crisis. Uh, and yeah. everyone needs to get out and vote. Yeah, we we simply cannot afford another four years of um, Donald Trump. It, it It's just frightening to think that that could possibly happen, but we cannot be confident and we can't look at polls and think that we have this. We certainly, as you said, we have to make a make a plan to vote early. Congressman, I wanted to ask you, are there any issues or any challenges that are facing your district specifically in San Diego? Well, I am really grateful to have uh, all of North County, San Diego, and all of South Orange County, and right mm-hmm. between uh, Camp Pendleton, right. uh, where our Marines and our sailors are serving the country well. And one of the couple of things that make my district unique, one of them is that we've got one of the largest number of veterans of any district in the United States. So I've been very focused on veteran issues, and I chair a subcommittee on the House Veterans Affairs Committee. And that is actually a great area of bipartisan progress where even in this difficult time with politics as polarized as it uh, maybe ever has been, we, uh, we have been able to, to come to common ground on veterans issues. And actually, I've gotten a number of my bills that I've introduced or uh, helped introduce uh, passed and a number uh, signed into law by uh, President Trump. 
Another is the nature of my district along the California coast with 52 miles of coastline. So I have some, some very specific issues with regard to protecting our coast, trying to prevent offshore drilling, keeping our beaches and our air and water all clean, uh, and also things like coastal erosion, protecting the, the bluffs, uh, protecting our rail corridor. You know, we've got one of the most important and well-traveled rail corridors in the United States between Los Angeles and San Diego and making sure that, you know, long-term that we protect that rail corridor. uh, That's, you know, been very important. And then I have right in the middle of my district, the uh, San Onofre nuclear generating station, which was decommissioned or still is in the process of being decommissioned, but uh, has a significant amount of nuclear waste And so I've really had to dig in and try to create a coalition to deal with the nuclear waste issues. And we started a task force headed by the former chair of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and also uh, co-chaired by a retired Navy admiral to really try to figure out the long-term disposition of the nuclear waste, not only at San Onofre, but really throughout the United States, uh, because the waste on our coast and in in my district is really the symptom of a greater problem, which is we lack a, a national strategy to deal with it. Yeah, and at this point, with so many bigger things happening, I can imagine how challenging that is to get people's attention to work on that. Well, it is, and uh, but we can't we can't stop. Uh, it, it's one of those one of those uh, much like the climate crisis. It's one of those things that. It's not going away. We have to deal with the facts on the ground and we have to deal with the problems at hand. And uh, I know that, you know, as long as I'm serving in Congress, uh, this will be an issue. And I hope that we can get that waste off our coastline as quickly and as safely as we can. Uh, What we did do very early is we introduced a bill that prioritized the movement of nuclear waste from sites that are higher population density and higher earthquake risk. And of course, our site is the highest population density and highest earthquake risk of just about any uh, with active faults and roughly 9 million people within 50 miles of the facility. So very important that we figure this out. Absolutely. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you're listening to my interview with Congressman Mike Levin. Congressman Levin, what haven't I asked you? What what would you like to address or bring up to our listeners, to your constituents, to the Americans that I may have not brought up? Well, I, I guess I would just reiterate uh, that uh, there still are good things happening uh, in Washington. And our national government really has been torn apart by partisanship because of this administration. And it often seems like not much is getting done. Uh, but, you know, in just my first term, we've been able to work on common sense solutions to problems, whether they be local problems or national problems. We have worked in a bipartisan way uh, before this uh, most recent bill, but between March and and May, we had four bipartisan relief packages to lessen the devastating public health and economic impacts of COVID. Uh, And uh, look, the other thing that uh, we have to make sure people remember is that at at a time where millions of Americans are losing their employer-provided health insurance, you've got one party trying to protect and strengthen health care, 
and ensure that those with pre-existing conditions get health insurance. And then on the other side, the Trump administration in the courts trying to undermine the Affordable Care Act, trying to take away protections for pre-existing conditions. Yep. And at the same at the same time, Trump's discussion around the payroll tax, that should be a cause for concern for all of our seniors in particular, but everyone who cares about the future fiscal viability of Social Security. Most recent estimates suggest that Social Security trust fund would be out of money by around 2023 should Trump get his way. So it is not unreasonable to say that with a second term, in addition to all the other harm that I think would be caused by a second term of Trump, one of the things would be the potential end of Social Security. We cannot allow that to happen. Which is which is one of the most successful programs this country has ever seen. And it's always flourished until now. And it's under threat. If it was up to Republicans, they would privatize that too. Congressman Levin, I want to thank you for your time, your wisdom, all the information you gave me and gave us, and wish you good luck with all that's happening. Thank you, Vic. Well, I just hope uh, everyone listening makes a plan to vote. You know, there are a lot of different measures on the ballot. There'll be a lot of local races on the ballot. But it's important that everyone, you know, gets that plan together and prepares to uh, turn their ballot in as early as they can to try to alleviate any unnecessary pressure on the U.S. Postal Service leading up to the election. So good to be with you, Vic. Absolutely. Thank you, Congressman. Please come back. I really appreciate it. Thank you. We will. Take care. Thank you. Too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was California Congressman Mike Levin, who was very direct and blunt with us, which is very, very much appreciated when, uh, when a diplomat speaks so freely and honestly. Thank you, Congressman Levin, for your time. Much appreciated. The Blunt Post with Vic. Ross Murray is the Senior Director of Education and Training at GLAAD Media Institute, which provides activist, spokesperson, and media engagement training and education for LGBTQ and allied community members and organizations desiring to deepen their media impact. Ross is also a founder and director of The Naming Project, a faith-based camp for LGBTQ youth and their allies. The Naming Project has also been the subject of much media, including the award-winning film Camp Out, as well as the controversial episode Pray the Gay Away of our America with Lisa Lang. He is a producer for Yes, Jesus, podcast focusing on queer Christianity. Ross is a consecrated deacon in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America with a specific calling to advocate for LGBTQ people and to bridge the LGBTQ and faith communities. In 2014, he was named one of Mashable's 10 LGBT rights activists to follow on Twitter. Hello, Ross. Thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic. How are you doing? I am doing well. Thank you for having me on here. My pleasure. Thanks for being on the show. So you are sort of in the middle of it with GLAD. So I'm interested to know, with all that's happening, first let's hear, General, what are all the things that are on your plate at GLAD right now? So for me personally at GLAD, my, my title is the Senior Director of the GLAD Media Institute. And that is the arm of GLAD that is in charge of education and training consultation and research. And so 
a lot of my work is focused on the education and training portion. Uh, so I am leading workshops and uh, helping to answer questions from media outlets or companies or sometimes individuals who find themselves in a media situation. And I do a lot of work with advocates and activists who want to figure out how to use media as a tool for their advocacy. That's my main job. However, uh, I'm also leading GLAD's election work, uh, making sure that there are LGBTQ issues that are coming up in the media surrounding the election and making sure that LGBTQ people and our allies all kind of know what's at stake and why voting is important. And then I've been at GLAD for 10 years now, and I've had a variety of different jobs in different programs uh, like religion, the South, global um, news. And when you leave any of those jobs, none of them never really leave you. So I still end up being uh, being in charge of anything that's related to global stuff or religion stuff or the U.S. South. Wow, that's a lot. So you're very well-versed and um, diverse within not just GLAD, but the LGBT community and such. So speaking of the elections coming up, what are some of the top issues affecting the LGBTQ community that you are making sure that's in front of lawmakers and um, constituents? Yeah, this election is going to be, is going to have major impact for the LGBTQ community. I mean, it's, we say it every election cycle, but it probably is the most important election of our lifetime just for the country and for the LGBTQ community. And it has been important for us to make sure that people understand what's at stake. A lot of people that are not LGBTQ often think that once we got marriage equality in 2015, that we were completely equal and everything's fine. But what we're seeing is continued efforts to pass laws that will allow businesses or adoption agencies or funeral homes to refuse to do uh, business or sell LGBTQ people uh, something. We are seeing increasing attacks on transgender people, um, both in terms of laws that are being introduced um, that are really targeting young people, transgender youth. But and physical violent attacks on transgender women of color, uh, which yeah. has been increasing every single year. Yeah. Um, and then probably the other big thing that we make sure that people are aware of is that there are solutions to this. There is a bill called the Equality Act that would provide protections in employment and housing and public accommodations and credit and jury systems um, that has passed the House and hasn't gone anywhere in the Senate. And then GLAD has been tracking since Trump's inauguration day, uh, that there has been over 170 attacks on the LGBTQ community. Um, Some of them are things that were said by him or someone in the administration. A lot of them are executive orders or policies that were changed or new ones that have actually put LGBTQ people at a disadvantage just living our lives in America. And those are things that we want to make sure that all voters know and understand, but especially for LGBTQ voters, understand how much this is impacting and hurting their life. Well said. I'm glad that you brought up Trump because let's get blunt. This is Trump's administration's doing. President Obama spent eight years diligently making sure that um, LGBTQ Americans are protected and we have our rights and worked with the House and the Senate and even the Supreme Court and generals from, from getting rid of Don't Ask, Don't Tell to DOMA, 
And of course, um, eventually we had marriage equality. So, you know, this is the Trump administration and the Republican leadership. And now with the, with the Republican Senate, of course, the Equality Act is not going to go anywhere. So that's for sure. Let me ask you, since we're on this, Ross, with such egregious acts committed against the queer community from the Trump, by the Trump administration and as well as other you know, Republican governors and lawmakers, explain to me why there are LGBTQ Republicans. I think it's the one thing I want to make sure that I say, and, and GLAD is a 501c3, so we're not going to endorse anyone or tell people sure. who to vote for. We see our role as educating and informing uh, voters. Uh, and I think that there's, you know, people, people align with political affiliations because they, uh, you know, perhaps they are personally benefiting um, from either the way the system is or benefit from the values that, uh, you know, are the laws that a, a party is going to enact. Um, I think we saw last week a lot of, uh, or not a lot, but we saw Richard Grinnell, um, a relatively high-ranking um, Republican who's been a part of the administration, uh, make a ad that said that Trump is the most pro-gay president ever and kind of use, well, I'm doing well as an example, right? Um, and so yeah. he has not been harmed. He's not been touched personally. Um, he's a white, cisgender, gay man, which, full disclosure, I am too, uh, but, um, you know, isn't facing the same um, level of blatant, in-your-face discrimination and violence as queer people of color, as transgender people, as bisexual people, as women um, are facing. And so I think there's always this balance between, like, what's good for me personally um, and, you know, what's going to be good for us as a community. And I think that's always been a tension that Americans have had in the LGBTQ community isn't really that different uh, than that. But I do think, I think that, that folks, you know, realize that they can personally benefit and sometimes can personally benefit from things like division and discord. Um, right. And there are uh, provocateurs um, that have been relatively high profile lately that, you know, want to say demeaning controversial things because that's what their brand is, what gets them attention and what gets them attention helps to get the money. Um, and so I think there's a cycle um, there in terms of like, do you mean it or are you saying it just so that you can, you know, make people upset and angry? And I, and I feel like that that's in terms of how a person is going to align themselves with a political party. Um, there's always like, you know, what's the self-interest for, for me? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you're listening to my interview with Ross Murray from GLAAD, non-governmental media monitoring organization founded by LGBTQ people in the media. Let me ask you this. Right now, or just in, let's just say 2020, what are some stories that, that, that affected the queer community that wasn't well covered by media? Yeah, I took a look. So one thing that we looked at was actually how much LGBTQ issues came up in the 2016 election, and they were barely mentioned at all. The only thing that was really mentioned um, was when the Pulse nightclub shooting happened. And so that was a moment because 
it was, you know, it was a major mass shooting. 49 people died. And so since then, there has been the level, I think, I think one thing has happened, we say 170 attacks since the Trump administration has began. So many of those kind of fly under the radar. Um, maybe Americans know that Trump passed a ban on transgender members of the military. Right. Um, and that was a policy that was changing kind of slowly over time. It happened administratively. Um, and then there was a reversal that sort of happened by tweet. That's probably what, if anything, most people are aware of. Um, but they've been much less aware of siding with religious adoption agencies that want to refuse to do adoption with same-sex couples. Um, there's been much less attention in terms of even the summer Supreme Court ruling that did rule in favor of employment protections for LGBTQ people. People don't realize that the Trump administration actually filed a brief on the side of employment discrimination. And part of that is because they don't tout it. They don't talk about it. Um, and it wasn't mentioned, you know, during the RNC this week that this is what they're going, what they're standing for. What I've been seeing a lot of coverage of this week is like, do Republicans like LGBTQ people or not? I think a lot of them do individually, but there's been kind of policy and law ongoing that has hurt the community. And it's been happening in little minor ways. And I think the way our news cycle has worked for the last four years, people even LGBTQ people don't have the capacity to pay attention to everything that is happening because there is such a news cycle about Russia and impeachment and uh, hurricanes and wildfires and Black Lives Matter. Um, and, and I think folks want to parse those out and separate them. But the reality is all of these things are interconnected and LGBTQ people are really a part of like all those stories. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's a lot of crossover, a lot of overlap and intersectionality. So for sure. And there are a couple of things that you said that I want to sort of make sure I repeat them, if you will. One of them is about trans women of color. You know, you mentioned that, that they have a just a very high murder rate. Statistics say that black trans women have an average life expectancy of 35 so that's something that we need to really talk about because um, it's often been sort of ignored and not really stated. And the other thing is, in terms of banning the trans community for a military, much like when Prop 8 passed in 2008, which they both took away rights that we had already. The queer community could get married in 2008 prior to Prop 8. And Prop 8 was passed to take that right away from us. Same thing happened with the trans community. Uh, Donald Trump took away their right to serve in the military and serve their country. So it's... Right. Just and, and this is actually, this has been one of those examples. The military is probably one, but it actually happened with students and with employees too. Uh, a lot of what we list as attacks on GLAD's website, which is glad.org slash Trump, and you can kind of see profiles, is reversals of policies um, that have come through the Pentagon or the Department of Education or the Department of Health and Human Services. And so these are ones that had built up, like you said, you know, lots of little policies in the Obama administration. And a, a lot of it has been just rescinding those policies. So a lot of them have been like people just had achieved, um, okay, there's some fairness, there's some equity in how this is going to work. 
And now those things have been taken away. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for elaborating on that too. So there have been some some very, again, egregious remarks made this year by some high-profile people. The latest was by um, the Reds' Tom Brenneman. Will you cover a little bit about that and also other similar ones this year that are sort of on top, if you will? Yeah, so a couple things happen, and, and this is interesting. This is a little bit of the development of our culture and our development as GLAD. The, the Tom Brenneman situation in terms of like using a slur live on air, the hot mic situation. There was a time when, you know, these things would get uttered or said or put out in a tweet or something like that. And then Glad would sort of like have to like formally respond and here's our statement. And and again, back in the old days, you know, faxing press releases all over the place. What's interesting today, partly because of the internet, a lot of that stuff happens Right Before we're ever going to put a formal statement together, people see it and hear it and respond to it right away um, you know, on Twitter. And so they're already saying, this is egregious, this is offensive, why, you know, why is this person uttering slurs on air? Even, why is he uttering slurs even if he doesn't think he's on air, right? And so it positions GLAD at a place to sort of reach out to the local community perhaps um, reach out to the entity like Major League Baseball um, or, 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 or some other entity and say, hey, you have a problem. And it's not just us glad the organization that says it. Here are all these other people that are also angry that you've got someone that is saying slurs. And, and it's kind of an offer. It's, it, it's sort of like, let us help you fix this because right now you have a problem and we don't have to convince them that this is offensive because they are seeing it directly from thousands of other people. Right. And that's gotten to change our strategy a little bit, um, which, I mean, has been helpful. I, I don't want to be angry and offended all the time. What I want to do is help people figure out how to learn, how to fix things and how to do and be better. And I think this is a way that we can do it. And it's helpful because there's so many people that are watching and hearing and amplifying when something bad or egregious is happening. This is the Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you're listening to my interview with Ross Murray from GLAAD, non-governmental media monitoring organization founded by LGBTQ people in the media. Yeah, I like your approach and your philosophy to, to teach and to be in the solution and go forward. However, they would have to be teachable and to accept what they've said, because a lot of times, especially in Tom Brenneman's apologies, because there were two, they came off so disingenuous and sort of blaming. I don't think someone is ready. When someone isn't ready, it's hard to really um, go anywhere with it. Now, I'm hoping that Reds and Major League Baseball would have a different path moving forward. Yeah, I think it's true. We get, we get a lot of apologies um, in this day and age. And some of them seem like, uh, I'm sorry I got caught. Or I'm right. sorry, I'm receiving punishment, um, or I'm sorry if you are offended, right? Um, and there have been some that do really well, and there's some actually that figure out how to learn from their mistakes. And I guess I also know, um, again, my background in religion, I think helps in that I sort of kind of believe inherently in a broken and sinful world. So when someone does it really well, I often am pleasantly surprised. I don't expect a whole lot, and so even if they're using the like. I'm scared I'm going to lose my job, so I feel like I have to say this. To me, 
that can be workable. Sure. Um, and I have to go past that and say like, okay, but do you actually understand what the problem is? Because, you know, if I just say like the F word is offensive, don't say it. You can say, okay, yeah, right. But that's not undoing any of the prejudice that is informing why he used that word um, and why he used that slur. And so part of it is kind of trying to get to what that is um, and if there's something that can happen there. And, and I've, had this, I've done this before. I didn't do this with Tom Brenneman this time because someone else worked on that. But I've done it before with radio DJs um, and a local community, you know, and I've, I've gotten the apology over the phone. And, you know, sometimes I just want to ask things like, hey, over this time, can you let me know what you learned? Like, have you learned more about the community? Have you learned more about the folks that you were talking about? And again, in some cases they do. In some cases, I think they're motivated to get their job back. And either way, I, I can figure out how to work with that. But also, like you said, there's some point to realize like, oh, your heart's not going to change all here. I don't know if there's anything else. So there's a point you kind of say like, okay, you just lost. What, what I would rather, this sounds, this is probably not a popular opinion. I'd rather know that somebody is anti-LGBTQ and that's just who they are rather than pretending to be my friend sure. and then continuing to stab me in the back. So like if someone's like, nope, I'm always going to have this bias and I'm always going to hate it, I can – it sounds weird, but I can at least know where they are rather than like, no, I really am an ally and I keep using the slur. Or like I keep doing this thing that's bad, but I'm really an ally. Right. Um, and, and and that's what I think is, is disingenuous. And I I – I, I like to know what I'm dealing with. And I, I get right now, it is not popular to be anti-LGBTQ. That's how much our society has progressed. That there was a time, a generation ago, that being anti-LGBTQ was the norm. It was what everyone was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the fact that that has shifted is major. There are still holdouts and folks that are resistant to that. And they don't like the society's change around them because they probably remember the time when they were the majority. And losing that is probably hard for them. And I think part of it is also kind of knowing if this is where you are and you say that you're not going to change, that's great. And then I'm going to treat you accordingly. And I've been able to do that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Ross, before um, I let you go, I just have one more question. So Moving forward and approaching election, of course, obviously, we want everyone to register. If you haven't registered yet, I hope you have. And we want people to vote early because of the U.S. Postal Service sabotage. We want uh, people to mail in their ballots if that's how you're going to vote as early as possible. But what else can people do? What are we not doing in the next couple of months? Yeah, so this is how we're running our campaign, and I, I like how we're doing it. We launched what we call 100 Days of Action. And so um, we are now under 100 days, and, um, and we have a website. And if people – we want people to pledge to vote. And you can go to glad.org slash action or glad.org slash vote. They both go to the same website. Um, and there's a place that says pledge to vote. Uh, and that's just making sure that there is a name and there's a reminder and there's a, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to vote and um, make sure you get reminders. We also have buttons on that page that say um, register and verify your registration. Those are with our partners at Headcount who are brilliant and really good at doing voter registration and get out the vote effort. They're also nonpartisan, um, but they also have the information of what the voting laws are in your state and will tell you 
this is, you know, you can request an absentee ballot. Um, you can do early voting. Here are the dates here the, and can give you all of that information, which is incredibly helpful. Um, and so I really yeah. do encourage people to visit glad.org slash action and verify the registra- your registration, pledge to vote. We're also going to keep rolling out content every day that is related to voting. And we're drawing on a lot of the communities that we work with, the Latinx community, the black community, and folks that I've trained through the GLAD Media Institute so that we are lifting up the voices of people who are being impacted. And the last invitation I will say is, because I'm training in education, I lead workshops and courses on how to do media engagement in an election year. And the next one is September 10th. And there's a couple after that uh, before Election Day that is is working with people that want to do more and have them feel like they are equipped with information, with data, with mindsets, with ideas of things that they can do and action steps. And I would love for people to join us there. And for that, take a look at the full schedule at the GLAD Media Institute, which is glad.org slash institute. Fantastic. Those are really great services you're providing to people. I hope everyone visits all those microsites, glad.org slash vote, glad.org slash action, and glad.org slash institute. Ross, thank you very much for all your wisdom and your time, and uh, I hope you come back again. I would love it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ross. That was the multi-talented Ross Murray from GLAAD. Ross, thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic today. Thank you for your time, and good luck to you and GLAAD. The Blunt Post with Vic. For today's quote, I'm going to read you a tweet from Dan Rather, who, whose tweets I've really been enjoying. They're so poignant and so brilliant. And this one reads, The Trump re-election strategy seems to be to argue that only Donald Trump can save America from Donald Trump's America. That's Dan Rather. The Blunt Post with Vic. Before we go, I'd like to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera, for his tireless work on The Blunt Post with Vic. And of course, thank you for joining me today. Uh, Please tune in next Monday at 7 a.m. for another episode. For more information, you can visit thebluntpostwithvic.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. And the handle is at Vic Jarami. That's at V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. The Blunt Post with Vic.